Welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. My name is Jenny Abamu and I'm your co-host. I'm so glad to be back and boy, do I have an interview for you all today. I decided to open this podcast with some tunes from Donald Glover's new song, This Is America, because we're talking about public schools and the artistry in the video combining the shock of gun violence, scenes of protest and dancing children can almost mirror our national state of affairs. It is quite the year for public education, and few people have been in the thick of teacher strikes, safety discussions, the pressure to quote-unquote rethink schools, and everything else surrounding America's institutions of education, like Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, the largest teacher union in the country. And as we dive into our conversation on politics, innovation, and community movements, I am glad to say that she held nothing back for you listeners. Welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. So great to have you. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Jenny. And so it's been a crazy, really interesting year for public education. Um, I know that you've been on the ground with teachers who are protesting in so many different states. I've seen some of your videos. I've, seen, I've heard you on NPR and different other places. Um, so I really wanted to hear, tell me an antidote from your experience on the ground that maybe has not caught the headlines yet. I know there are so many stories and interactions that you, well, you're, you've been having with these educators, but what has stuck out to you? What's a story that has stuck out, an interaction or story that has stuck out to you? So just this week. So let me, let me talk about two stories. One on um, the protest line, the picket line in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And one just this week in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And you, in, in Charleston, I was with um, teachers, high school teachers in Kanoa County. And one was not wearing a jacket. And so I said to her, it's, you know, because it was cold, it was February. I said, it's really cold. I said, you got to wear, and I took my jacket off and I gave it to her. I said, you got to wear a jacket. It's, you're going to get a cold. And she told me about one of the reasons that she wasn't is because she had a back injury and she really needed to, you know, it was hard for her to get um, clothes on and off. And it was just too hard for her to have the coat on that day. And I'm like, what are you doing out here? And she looked at me and she said, how can I not be out here? We're actually fighting for ourselves and then fighting for our kids. And I got to be out here. I'm like, but you're in a lot of pain. She said, I know, but I got to be out here. Mm. And that's the level of, of deprivation that I saw. Uh, the level of a sense of, you know, of, of, of if not now, when, if we don't speak up now um, all together, what will happen? And then Zoe um, in, in, uh, in Arizona. Now, Zoe did a press 
taping with me for MSNBC. But in talking to her before, Zoe's a first-year teacher. She has incredible excitement. Her life is ahead of her. And what she did was she explained to not only me, but to, and this is the first time she ever did this, to hundreds of thousands of people, just what it means to have a second set of hands in her classroom to help kids who have special needs, what it means to have to, as a new teacher, dig deep into her pocket to create her classroom environment, what it means to, as a new teacher, every single day, write a curriculum. And so you juxtapose those two stories, and and they just represent hundreds of other people. They actually represent hundreds of thousands of, of educators, but they represent hundreds of other educators with whom I've had the honor to have individual conversations who have told me these stories. You juxtapose that against what Betsy DeVos did with the Teachers of the Year, this gazillionaire who looks at them and says, well, you know, teachers shouldn't be out on strike because they are hurting kids. No, what is hurting kids is the cut in, 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 in budgets. What's hurting kids is, as, as John Hansel, the teacher, from, the teacher of the Year from Oklahoma said, year after year after year, having to do more with less and not being able to have enough resources in classrooms to give kids what they need. Or, or, or as a teacher in Arizona said to me, that she actually is making less today than she did 10 years ago because of the cost of health insurance. And and so what the the amazing stories right now is that by it being teachers who are talking about this by by people in 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 the United States actually hearing teachers themselves saying please help us help kids help us stay in this profession that we love but we need to be able to afford it and afford it for our families, and also help us get the resources that these legislatures in in Arizona, in West Virginia, in Oklahoma, in Kentucky, in in Louisiana, have have turned away from kids and schools and classrooms in order to give tax cuts to people like Betsy DeVos. That's what I was hearing. Now, what I've heard you say uh, um, on a few occasions as kind of the next step for some of these teachers, I know like some people are still rallying up in different places, but for some people where West Virginia and places like Arizona where, you know, the strikes have come to an end, the next step that you've been calling for is for them to start electing more progressive officials. You're saying kind of remember in November, I've seen the tweets. Right and um, different things like that. Specifically, what do you see Democrats doing for public education that Republicans haven't? I mean, you have 1.6 million members. One point, yeah, 1.7. 1.7, okay, yes, correction. Thank, Thank you. That's okay. Uh, million you members. Of, every, of every one of them count hugely, so I want right. to make sure we count everyone. I understand. But, but, but Jenny, I, I, I think, look, I'm a good Democrat, and I've been a Democrat probably my whole life. 
But we make a mistake as progressives to start with what can Democrats do versus what have Republicans not done. Hmm. What we're saying is we want pro-public education Hmm. people in power so that you don't have to have a human shield to actually get what should be obvious to any elected official. Hmm. Like what, what is it that on a local level people really want for their communities? They want their kids to be educated and have a chance at the future. They want their communities to be safe and they want to have decent enough services and, 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 you know, from their communities so that they feel like they can build a better life for their family. Mm. That's what people want from government on a local level. Mm -hmm. And so education, public education never used to be a Republican versus a Democratic issue. It used to be a bipartisan issue. What has happened with these kind of these right wingers is that they have decided to starve services or they've decided to cut taxes and give tax breaks to their friends or to big corporations at the expense of kids. That started happening in the recession in the, you know, in the mid-2000s, but still state after state that has been run by these right-wingers opted for tax cuts to the rich as opposed to services for children. And what we're saying is that it's an American value, not a Republican versus Democratic value. It's an American value to want to have a ladder of opportunity for our next generation, not to make it harder on them, but to actually let them seize their future. And that comes in an equitable way in public education. Spend the money wisely, but we still need resources. And that's what's happened. In Oklahoma, for example, there, the, there is $1 billion um, less in mm-hmm. schools today than 10 years ago. Um, in Oklahoma, it was a, um, 30% less. And so what you saw as a result is not simply that teachers were not getting paid enough or that the cost of health care meant that teachers' salaries were actually going down, mm-hmm. but also that there was not enough personnel for art music or for helping students with special needs or that the books and supplies were so old they were coming up, you know, that they, they were not effective for today. So... To kind of going on the same point of thinking about what the administration in power right now, I've been wondering this personally, because I think I, I kind of see some of the spats back and forth on the media or in Twitter and things like that between, I mean, it's obvious that you're not a fan of DeVos's, DeVos or the administration, um, but I'm really curious, figuring the fact that she has outlasted a lot of Trump's other appointees, she doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon, what is the strategy for union leaders like yourself moving forward with this administration? Well, there's no strategy with this administration. We tried. When she first came in, we invited her to Van Wert, Ohio, to actually go to public schools to see schools in places where they basically voted, you know, overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, Hmm. where they actually 
wanted, for whatever reason, Trump to be president, but they loved their public schools. And we took her to three schools that day. I think it was three of the 18 schools that she went to in total, or the 18 public schools that she went to in total in 2017. Hmm. And she made a lot of promises to people there that, you know, she spent time with her early childhood teachers. She spent time with, you know, parents of special needs kids. And from what I can tell, she has basically violated every single one or broken every single one of those promises. Because the truth is, she doesn't actually do the work to, to um, you know, invest the time, energy, and effort to do the work to strengthen public schools. Hmm. Her ideology is simply get rid of public schools, um, disrupt them, um, siphon off money. Hmm. And, and, and she calls that choice, or she calls that these days innovation, but instead of actually making sure that the schools that parents want to send their kids to actually have the resources that they need, she essentially does the opposite. And, and, and that's why the teachers like John Hansel, Oklahoma Teacher of the Year, he voted for Trump. He said, you can't keep on siphoning money off our schools. That is what is making it harder and harder. And she answered him by essentially saying, well, that's not my issue. I don't really, I want to just, you know, I, I mean, it was bizarre. I think I, I have her actual answer, if I can read it to you. Yeah. Her answer is, her answer was, um, that her goal was to redefine what education is. And she wants to call all of it public education. So instead of strengthening mm. the, the places that 90% of kids go to, mm. public education, available for all, not discriminatory, how do you increase equity? How do you make sure that we meet the needs of all kids? Instead of doing that, her, her constant goal as secretary, assuming that um, she has one, is to basically disrupt and destabilize. It's How really do you work with that? Point. I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a very, very interesting point, Randy, because there, there are a lot of, um, I mean, especially in ed surge and in the ed tech space that we kind of operate in a lot, there's a lot of people who do kind of talk often about disruption for public schools, um, and that's a very popular topic. And I'm really curious for you, what do you see as the tension with, kind of these, this, this mindset as far as like innovation and the way traditional public schools have been done in the past, where does attention lie for you? Um, what makes it, what makes it hard for, to have union rules and also redesign schools if schools need to be redesigned? So I think that the premise is what I would, um, suggest is, um, needs, you know, the, the framing Mm. is what I find, um, frankly, um, pretty offensive. Mm. Because at the end of the day, every one of us is constantly focusing on how we improve. I don't know a person. I, don't, I certainly don't know a school teacher. I don't know a kid. I don't know anybody who says, I just want to be exactly what I am right now. Mm. There's a constant sense of how do we improve? How do we strengthen? 
But what I see in terms of public schools is really different than market economics. Normally what happens is that people who want to um, uh, disrupt, it's because they want to shake a system up to open up an avenue for them to bring in um, their own goods and services. Mm. And that's in some ways what every one of these tech entrepreneurs want to do. So what they'll say is, okay, we're going to shake the system up. And, and, and they suggest that those of us who have spent our life actually, you know, five minutes before they were involved in this, really trying to educate kids, they have to try to demonize us in order to elevate themselves. And that's what I find offensive. So I say to those people, okay, come into my classroom. Spend five minutes with me and my kids. Tell me what you think I should be doing differently. And then you try to teach for five or ten minutes. And then I can, sit, I, can, I can critique you. But my point is, come on in. See what we can do. Help us make things better. Don't immediately tell us how wrong we are because we made the choice to make a difference in the lives of kids. So I think when people talk about traditional public schools versus not, that is attempting to say that something is wrong versus something is right. We need to have great public schools for all kids. We need to have schools that actually meet the needs of kids, meet their focus on their well-being, engage in powerful instruction, build the capacity of the workforce, create collaboration. That's what we need to do. Public schools that parents want to send their kids to, that educators want to work at, that kids are engaged. It's not a matter of traditional versus non-traditional. It's a matter of how do we create that and envision, create, and sustain that kind of um, system of schools. And that's how I would look at it. Technology is really important as a way of, of helping to teach, but it is not something that will supplant or substitute for teachers. So it is this notion of disruption as opposed to an understanding that what kids really need is stable, safe, welcoming environments. And so if you are always shaking things up, hmm. what do you think that means in terms of a kid needing a stable, welcoming environment? And what I have seen is that maint and su successful, sustainable, scalable means that you have to develop the muscle of good strategy. And sometimes that takes more than a nanosecond. Does it mean that some things have to be shaken up? Of course. But we basically need to have stable, sustain, stable safe, welcoming environments for kids where they feel safe enough to actually engage and to take the risk and even a risk of failing. And the same is true with teachers. So let's focus on well-being. Let's mm. focus on powerful learning. Let's focus on building the capacity of teachers and the agency and the voice of teachers. Let's have um, cultures of collaboration. Mm. And when you do those four strategies that also entail technology to some extent, those are the strategies that make schools great. Are there any specific innovations that you've seen that you can see 
maybe scaling in public schools. I always hate saying that, but. Absolutely. I see. So, so project-based instruction is one of the most important, um, I think, strategies that, that we should use. Now, think about um, the robotics um, projects. I think they're amazing. It creates teamwork. It creates, it, it, it gets kids into STEM. It gets kids into technology, and and there's a project that 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 actually ensures that you go from from beginning to end. Um, the same is true, frankly. It's the same idea as I used to do in my 11th and 12th grade, my 12th grade AP Gov classes, where we taught the We the People competition, where we actually had kids compete with kids in other schools and and in other states. On um, on their um, knowledge of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, or the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but so I think that project-based learning is really important and a really important innovation. Well, Randy, I want to thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Are there any? Is there any like a thirty-second thought that you want to leave us with before? Just we- that teachers are amazing, mm-hmm. and they should be they every single day. Educators every single day work to help uh, make sure that we can open up the world for our kids and anything we can do to support the investments in schools and support um, ensuring that we have great teachers for our kids in our future um, and have a public school system that is foundational to our democracy. Anything we can do to do that would be fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Randy. Thank you. This has been the Ed Surge On Air podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jenny Abamu, and you can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending an email to us at feedback at edsurge.com. You can also subscribe to us on your iPhone podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education.